calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Welcome to this episode of CFA Institute's Take 15 series. I'm Sam Lum, Director of Private Wealth and Capital Markets at CFA Institute. I'm joined here today in our Asia-Pacific Regional Office in Hong Kong by Mr. Stuart Lucas, Chairman of Wealth Strategist Partners. Stuart is a CFA charter holder with an MBA from Harvard. He has worked as an investment professional for nearly 30 years. As a fourth-generation descendant of E.A. Stewart, founder of the Canadian company, Stewart currently co-manages his family's investment office. His book, Wealth, Grow It, Protect It, Spend It and Share It, has been published in English, Spanish and Chinese. Stewart, thanks for being with us today. Most people think that if someone has created wealth in the millions and billions, he would not only have made it for himself, but also for later generations. Is that really the case? Well, Sam, first of all, it's wonderful to be here in, uh, in Hong Kong and uh, with you at the CFA Institute uh, this morning. Uh, unfortunately, actually, uh, once you've actually created significant wealth, the, um, the task has only just begun. Uh, the fact of the matter is the basic math suggests that it's really hard to grow and spend wealth at the same time because by the time you, you take into account what I refer to as leakages, which are spending, uh, fees, taxes, uh, inflation, and then the typical growth of families, it's just very hard to generate a rate of return, uh, particularly from financial markets, that exceeds that. But what it does suggest is that because you can control your spending, um, uh, the, the deferred gratification in, uh, uh, in families is a really important characteristic uh, uh, to long-term success. We may not be able to control whether financial markets go up or down, but we actually can control uh, our spending. And let me illustrate that uh, with a story because I actually think in many ways deferred gratification is a very positive thing uh, uh, for the individual that is expressing it as well. I have a friend who you know, is very well-to-do um, who loves caviar and he um, only has caviar one day a year on Christmas Eve and the reason he does it is because by only having caviar one day a year that's what makes it special. So that deferred gratification actually enhances the pleasurable experience of enjoying spending uh, money when, when uh, he actually does so. Many wealth creators have worked so hard that they think they deserve to spend their wealth any way they want. How does that fit with a culture of deferred gratification? Well, the, the financial success of a wealth owner may have adverse in, uh, consequences for the rest of the family if the talents that are used to 
create the wealth in the first place leave too little room for the uh, development of family human capital. Um, and, and it's very important for uh, business owners uh, who are successful to take an active interest in uh, the development of what I refer to as entrepreneurial stewardship um, and other capabilities in their children. Uh, again, an example, the Rothschild family, the famous Rothschild family from Europe, um, has been successful for hundreds of years. And they have a basic family mantra, and that is, we don't really care what you do, but we want you to do it well, and we will help you engage and, uh, um, in, in whatever your passions are. You don't just have to be a business person, but you do have to succeed. And that's served them well for a long time. You know, as I think about it too, my great-grandfather, the founder of Carnation, E.A. Stewart, um, also used to, m to measure himself uh, by asking himself on a regular basis, am I being useful? And that is a, a, uh, a question which I think in each subsequent generation we've tried to ask of ourselves and answer it and uh, in, in a productive way. So he sets an example which again lasts for, for many generations. One of the things to think about as a wealthy family is that you actually have a brand and by investing in people, in the human capital of your family as well as in your businesses, you actually enhance the brand which particularly in a part of the world like Asia where your word is your bond, uh, the, the value of the brand actually enhances the value of your business making uh, uh, opportunities. What does entrepreneurial stewardship mean? It's actually a juxtaposition of opposite, isn't it? That's right, Sam, it is. Uh, because on the one hand you have entrepreneurship, which is all about creating wealth. And on the other hand you have stewardship, which is all about protecting and preserving wealth. But CFA charter holders should be well familiar with uh, uh, the, this type of paradox because in their jobs every single day, they are both seeking outsized returns and at the same time trying to manage risk. And entrepreneurial stewardship fundamentally is very similar. Uh, this concept though of entrepreneurial stewardship of both protecting and also creating wealth is really the challenge of second and subsequent generations and uh, those families that can do it well uh, really flourish. Uh, I'll give you an example of a family I worked with this summer. Uh, I, I did a, um, a, a customized version of the course that I teach for wealth owners at the University of Chicago for 40 members of this particular family over the course of four days. And they had uh, uh, sold their family business uh, half a dozen years or so ago and then reinvested the proceeds in part in new businesses and in part in financial assets both to diversify their economic risk and also to, uh, to diversify their political risk because previously they'd had their entire assets concentrated in one country. The, um, but this family has not only invested in new businesses and in financial assets, but as I mentioned before, in education, which has been critical in, in helping them to retain the glue to keep the family together and to keep a constant vision about their future. And ultimately, it's the future, the family success over multiple generations 
that is, is really the challenge of these uh, second and subsequent generations. And long-term family success is really going to be a function of their skills and their interest, not in the skills and capabilities of the first-generation entrepreneur. In your recent article in this new Asian magazine called Storm, you encourage 12 owners to think twice before selling the family business. How does that relate to entrepreneurial stewardship? Well, first of all, most uh, businesses in Asia are either state-owned enterprises or they're family businesses. So the, the question is highly relevant to Asian families about whether or not they want to uh, uh, sell their business. Um, and really, the article is both a celebration of entrepreneurial stewardship and at the same time, it's a cautionary tale about this very treacherous transition of shifting from being a business-owning family to a financial family. And in the article, I really try to make five key points. Uh, the, if you do make the decision to sell your business and transition to a financial family, you really relinquish your expertise. Most people made their, uh, their fortunes creating wealth by in, in a business that's other than a financial business. So suddenly they have to learn uh, the financial business in order to be uh, continue to be successful, and that's a tough challenge. Uh, the second thing is that financial returns generally are not as great as those returns that tr uh, highly successful businesses uh, generate. So you probably will make less money. Third, when you leverage financial assets, uh, it's actually a riskier undertaking uh, than it usually is when you leverage uh, business assets in, if you do it properly because uh, you have less control over when the leverage is called, particularly in volatile markets. And you, you ultimately also risk the family culture uh, because uh, going back to my previous example, one of the things that the family that I spent some time with this summer told me is that when they sold the business, the heart of the family was ripped out. And uh, it was really a, gra a use of graphic language to describe this. And uh, you need to find a way, if you're going to become a financial family, to replace the heart that was the business before. How about the transition that some families have to make? You know, the transition from first relying upon the proven successes of the founder and then to enabling and empowering the contributions of the later generations that are inheriting the wealth. <laughs> well, you're right, Sam. That's also a very difficult uh, transition, and it is one that is fraught with uh, psychological challenge uh, as well as uh, economic challenge. I, uh, a year or so ago, I was in Bali teaching a group of families, and there was uh, an Indonesian family uh, where the husband, the wife, and the and the son, who was probably in his early 30s, were there together, and it became clear that there had not been good communication between father and son. The son wanted more uh, responsibility in the family business. And at one point, the, the son blurted out, uh, please, please give me more responsibility in front of this you know, intimate group of, of people. But if, if the, there is not good quality communication between the generations in private, then sometimes the, uh, it can come out in public in ways that are unexpected and not ideal necessarily for, for either uh, the older or the younger generation. Um, you know, sometimes too, 
family transition, intergenerational transitions really run up against cultural issues. Uh, a, um, a colleague of mine in business school uh, was a, a, a young woman, very smart, um, who was an only child. And it was her task to go back to Tokyo to run her family business after she um, uh, graduated from business school. And as a female senior executive 20 years ago in Japan, she had a real cultural challenge, not only in addressing the, the first and second generation challenge, but also in, in addressing the, the, uh, 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 the challenges of the new position that she was stepping into. But these are the challenges that families have to take. And um, I myself have experienced uh, some. I, uh, some years ago, wanted my father to anoint me as the, the heir apparent, if you will. And I have three siblings, and my parents wouldn't do it. And I was very frustrated, and finally they said to me, well, you know, you're going to have to deal with your siblings a lot longer than you're going to have to deal with us. So you better go talk to them and see if you can all figure out how to manage the family business in your generation. And ultimately, that was the right advice. Uh, it just took me a little uh, time to mature into, uh, into that issue. Stuart, thank you for sharing your thoughts on entrepreneurial stewardship and selling the family business. And thank you, our viewer, for joining us. To browse our collection of other multimedia products, please visit us online at cfawebcasts.org. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.